in the darkest worlds that ever were. The only thing that brings light are stories. Those stories are kept in one place. The tiny bookcase. Hello, explorers of the Sacred Library. You're listening to The Tiny Bookcase. I'm Nico. I'm Ben. And we come bearing stories. And another cool guest. We are joined today by someone who is described by the scrolls as a person that writes many different genres and at different lengths. She has published over 100 short stories and her longer fiction has been shortlisted for many prestigious awards. She's quoted as saying, I like those moments in stories where you have no idea what's going to happen next. The moments when genre can't save you. We'd like to welcome Aaliyah Whiteley. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Very pleased to be here. That's a wonderful quote. That I really enjoyed it when I when, when we found it. This uh, uh, yeah, thanks. This idea that uh, genre can't save you can't you can't just lean back on tropes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's not comfortable. Yeah. So you don't know what's going to happen next. I love that. That's what I'm aiming for a lot of the time. I think it's a good mantra. <laughs> Not so much in life, but definitely in writing. <laughs> yeah, so it's possibly a tricky question, but how has your uh, how has your pandemic been up in? Uh, you, you're, so you're also in the UK, correct? Yes, yeah, yeah. in West Sussex. West Sussex. It's it's been okay. It's um, I I am a mum, so I've been doing the whole you know schooling at home thing. Um, How's that been? it's it's been good actually it's not it's not been atrocious and the school's been really excellent so um we've got through that fairly well how about you uh becoming a hermit uh was 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 a strange (laughs) move i'm 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 a bit of a social creature as is nico yeah um and uh so it's it's been a bit tough so we spent a lot of time talking to each other online as you might imagine yeah, uh, and yeah, it's it's been a bit a bit of unpleasant, I would say, wouldn't you, Nico? <laughs> it's it's not been ideal. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I'm an we... introvert, and I I have even even I have had thoughts like I could get out more, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is quite unusual for me. <laughs> yeah. So it re- it reached a point where we just we we broke and started a podcast. You see, so it really did. It's understandable, yeah. really. <laughs> this is. The digital equivalent of meeting a random person in the pub and forcing them to talk about books with us. <laughs> That's all this is. But, but combined with demanding they perform a story. <laughs> I feel like I should have a pint then. Yes. Damn it. Uh, or, yeah. I'll um, make do it with my cup of tea. But it's uh, nice Yeah, I, I, a cup of tea is, is also what, we, what I've got on this end. What are you drinking, Nick? Uh, I quite shamedly got a glass of soda in front of me. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not tea. <laughs> It's so bad for your voice. <laughs> Wait, is that true? Yeah, fizzy stuff's really bad for your voice. Oh, I think you tea. Oh, I was, I was no. Like, oh, tea is actually also not great because of the tannins. It makes your vocal cords quite mm. tight. So if you're going to sing, uh, tea, especially very hot tea, is not great. But a bit of chamomile, some honey in it, sort your rice out. Mm. I'd be very surprised if I sing. Yeah. I, think, I think you'll be okay. <laughs> oh, you are not going to enjoy the interview. Oh no! <laughs> the sheet music's in your inbox. Oh no! <laughs> Let's start with some stories then. Alia, you'll be going first this week, and yes. uh, the prompt is toxic. Yeah, thank you for letting me go first. I, I get 
pre-reading nerves and I find that I don't listen to anything else if I'm just thinking about my story so if I go first and I can listen properly to your stories very excited and have things to say so let's hope that by the end that was the right choice and you're glad that you let's hope so (laughs) toxic this is my potion and it smells swimming pool and petrol with the tang of animal It wafts through my south-facing kitchen, uncurling from my favourite mug. I've made this potion from things ordered online, things found around the house, things found dead on the road. I've opened crusted bottles from under sinks. I've fed body parts through my blender. Stirring these undrinkable ingredients together reminded me of a game I used to play when I was very young. I made a drink, I would say to my father. It's for you. A cap of shampoo mixed with a dollop of Marmite. Whatever I could get my hands on. He would pretend to swallow it down. Yum, yum, yum. I would watch the thin line of his lips pressed together so tightly as he tilted the plastic cup to his face. Now you've got superpowers, I'd say. I have dreamed of transformation. Long have I been a normal girl. Everyone suffers and succeeds but me. Oh, to be a different thing. No, wait, I don't want to be different. I want to be super, to take all the boring pieces of me and make one satisfying, strong, beyond belief woman. Right now, I am a commute and a weekly cleanup of my semi-detached. I am a solemn whip round with the duster. I am a streaming service and a takeaway treat and late night lonely tears. And I am the desire to escape this place and myself. Come on, potion, merge all these pieces into one spectacular super hole. I hold the mug in my hands. I will find the courage to drink it down any moment now. Any moment now. It's a spring afternoon. The sun is bright on the black and white squares of Lino and the radio is playing 80s pop. The smell is still the worst thing I have ever smelled and the look is not too appealing either. Thick brown sludge with chunky bits. A layer of slime has solidified on top. To drink or not to drink? My father played Hamlet in the school production. He liked the stage but preferred to be a businessman. Money over masochism, he told me once. That was the kind of thing he used to say, but that was all a performance too. Yum, yum, yum. Nowadays, I prefer my heroes modern and muscled. Bring on the captains and gods, those who fly and favour a cape. Maybe the potion will give me a laser beam stare and an origin story beyond the normal. I'll discover I'm from another planet long destroyed. Well, I suspected that already. The thing about the act of drinking is this. It requires freedom of self, like talking, like screaming, making any noise. Letting things out and letting things in demands a looseness of the throat, and for the longest time, I didn't have it. Everyone had to join the school choir. Sing up, my teacher would say, but I felt the words lodged in my neck, each one a blockage. I wanted to find out I was a singer, a pop superstar even. That's as close as we get to hero status in this world, right? But when did I manage to force out the sounds? They were high and whiny. Nothing much has changed, right? I'm approaching this life all wrong, right? Enough questions, enough memories twisted to fit my agenda. The smell. Hold the nose and down it goes. Yum, yum, yum. My mouth is a thin line. I understand my father better now, those pressed lips, that stiff neck, but I will overcome it. It takes an effort of extraordinary will to unclench my jaw. Open, open wide, I demand of myself and the liquid floods in. Swallow one, swallow two. I contain my potion and I taste. 
blood and guts and puke and bleach and bile and something lumpy. I taste harshness and hope and the tang of horror, the prickle of fur pushing out from my paws is a torture. My nails are straining in their beds, turning my fingers to curved claws. I rip at my clothes and shred them from my twisting legs, hardened and hollowed. My stomach wrenches, my hair burns, my windpipe dissolves, and I am transforming, transforming, transformed. I throw down the empty mug. The handle breaks on the black and white tiles. I stand in my kitchen, bright sunlight still shining, and I breathe deeply. The air has cleared. It smells wonderful. I am no longer an ordinary girl. I am a mixture of things found and things stirred, of the awful and the unswallowable. Everything within me is churning and burning to reach this one truth. I am not Hamlet. I'm not waiting to be a hero. I don't need a stage or an audience. I will be my own worst creation. This is an origin story made in a suburban semi-detached by a boring life that never came together. I've taken all the parts of this and made a majestic monster. And now I will lumber out into the world to wreak havoc with my fur standing proud. I collect my coat and handbag from the hall. I turn left and head for the high street and I smile at everyone I pass. It's the smile of a supervillain. I wonder why they smile back instead of running for the hills, running as far away as they can get before I eat them whole. Yum, yum, yum. Can't they smell me coming? I'm toxic. Oh, I loved that. I thought that was I thought that was beautifully intense. The uh, but also like endearingly vulnerable as well. Like there was so much going on about the, the that there was a line towards the end about the life that never came to quite came together. Yeah, and yeah, that, like an undercurrent of uh, yeah, yeah. It's not all worked out there for sure. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that's a that's I think that's a really strong response to the to the prompts. I think that I I had a lot of fun listening to that and feeling the like. The rhythms as well of it like the the repeating yum 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 <laughs> is, is a is a really nice and, and each time you used it, it it had a different you know meaning behind it why you were using it but, but yeah it, it, it carried through the story really nicely See, thanks i didn't know i'd spent most of my life waiting for an adult retelling of george's marvelous medicine but now it's here <laughs> i love george's I marvelous love medicine it. <laughs> i'm glad you got that from it i do love george's marvelous medicine <laughs> Um, yeah, I started out like years and years ago writing for the stage, mainly sort of theatre writing and to get like an idea prompt for something to, to read aloud. Just uh, it's so much fun. And I think I have seen like a stage performance of George's Marvellous Medicine, weirdly enough. And that was kind of in my head a little bit, along with wow. Jekyll and Hyde. That was really that was I, that was yeah. that was where my one. My mind went. Yeah, for yeah. sure. But also um, so just I, I was fairly sure it was a suicide attempt. Is that is that anywhere near where you were aiming with it, or was it I wanted it to be, um, you know, could could be read, certainly could be read in that direction. Mm. Yeah, I wanted that to be a possibility. This sort of like intense, um, intense like explosion of the of of all the trauma from the childhood and 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 life not quite working out was that culminates in in uh, her going a bit. Um, you know, basically going a bit loopy and then drinking something that sounds extremely, as you say, toxic. Um, yeah. Very strong. the The description of the nails straining in their beds uh, really, like, cut through to me because um, there's just something about descriptions of nails that really <laughs> gets me. I think you know how some people have an eye thing. Yeah, I, I, think I, might, I might have a nail thing. Yeah. Ooh, the yeah. 
in that same section, the line, my hair burned, was a fantastic sort of cementing of the unreality of it mm. as well. Yeah. Because like such an, an unusual sensation that you can almost not imagine that really sold that little bit for me. Yeah, I wanted it to not be a real kind of transformation in any sense. So, And I was really thinking of like in Jekyll and Hyde and uh, also American Werewolf in London, you know, the amount of time, something mm, really cinematic, yeah. the transformation scene is just my favourite bit of, um, you know, those kind of stories where a person turns into a monster. But also yeah. you see it, you know, I was also thinking about things like Captain America and the Marvel things when some, or somebody gets turned into a superhero. There's also that element of, you know, extreme extreme body sort of transformation so the, it could go either and, way couldn't it you could be a hero you could be a villain i think so the, we, that definitely came across from the there was a sort of although there was lots of pain descriptions there was also like pleasure descriptions in there as well and so like the you know the captain america one is quite it, it's quite a positive one although although i think in the movie he does experience some pain like you know the first thing that happens to him afterwards is someone like touches him because they can't believe he's real because he's so yeah. perfect you know this yeah um yeah, no, very. Um, I think that's, um, that's yeah, fully, thanks. Fully, I'm fully busy fully thinking fun. of all the um, transformations of people who end up as heroes, and I like Wolverine and Deadpool and things mm. like that. Kind of, it's usually always, a fair amount of pain and. They've always, got, they've always got to go through the crucible, haven't they? Um, they yeah. You mentioned the American Werewolf in London. Definitely yeah. got, definitely got that vibe. Um, and that I think that's basically still held up as one of the one of the better werewolf transformations in in movies. Oh yeah, it's great. Movies, it? Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, I love that one. I, I actually only uh, watched that recently in, in the last year. For, for whatever reason, I just completely missed it. Um, <laughs> and I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, right. Well, that was, a, that was a stunning way to start the episode. I really enjoyed it. Oh, cool. Um, Thank you. I have, I have no intention of following you. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, oh, goody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tee this one up for, for Nico. <laughs> You're such a giving lover, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it'll say on my tombstone. <laughs> Soon. <laughs> like a candle struck, consciousness flared gently in the cavernous inky void of Carter Sterling's world. The warmth of his own breath filled the closed space around his eyes, the moisture settling uncomfortably in his facial hair. Softly, he moved his nose from left to right. The sensation of fabric and the soft scraping of his coarse stubble confirmed his fear. He had been hooded. Calm, he decided, was key here. Remember your extensive bloody training, Carter. Slowly, he began to run through his mental checklist focusing on his own body so as to mitigate the fear of what lay beyond his fabric prison. He held his breath a moment, checking for any pain, any perceived damage to his airways or lungs. In the silence, he felt the familiar tinnitus that followed a firefight hum in his ears. The tone was a disturbing comfort to him. A familiarity that he'd come to associate with victory, accompanied with the sound of the engines rumbling on his flight home the rustling of papers in a dossier. Now it was an alarm bell, tolling its peal as a reminder of loss. No. He couldn't get into his head, not now. 
Keep going. Test extremities. He clenched his right hand, then slowly unfurled each finger. Everything is in order. He twitched the muscles in his left wrist and searing pain shot all the way to his elbow. Shit. Pushing through the agony, he felt his head spin. The darkness of his confinement lending itself to the nauseating discombobulation. With some effort, the hand closed. He felt the tack of blood as the fingers began to separate. Two of them failed to move away. His attempts just elicited more agony. In spite of himself, he whimpered. Embarrassment warred with terror as the MI6 agent in him battled the terrified, brutalised man. As though he had reset a clock, he began to recall what had happened to him. The memory of a boot heel grinding his fingers until he released his gun. A twisted mess of a digit almost lodging around the trigger as the weapon was kicked roughly away. That same boot cracking his cheek and the hollow thunk of his head bouncing off of the terracotta tiles beneath him flashed back unbidden. In spite of himself, in spite of the years of success and training, the salty sting of tears formed in the creases at the edge of his eyes. This was almost certainly death. The British government weren't going to pay a ransom of any sort, especially not on a made agent. If he was lucky, he'd get a moderately passionate footnote in the operations report. He'd always found those so odd when he picked up a failed case. Why would you write about the kindness and warming smile of someone sent around the globe to do your dirty work? Now, in this hell, he realised that that may well be the last time his name was mentioned anywhere, before they emptied his locker and quietly burned a Union Jack in his honour. Music. Faint. Clinking of glasses. Voices. Then... Nothing. Now... Footsteps. The clack-clack of steel-capped boots. And a softer pair of feet, too. Rubber soles, it sounds like. The click stopped, but the other footsteps drew near. With an uncomfortable ripping sensation, the hood was pulled roughly from his head. Dazzling light and colour assaulted his senses, migraine pain flaring in his head. It was somehow worse than the physical pain in his hand, and Carter struggled to maintain focus. Slowly, the room around him began to solidify. A series of tanks lined one wall. Some had water. Others seemed to be brimming with vegetation. Everything else was spartan. Grey concrete floor. Bare walls dotted here and there with brass piping. Holding the hood next to him was, immediately, a rifle of some kind. At the other end of which was a man that Carter would have described as a thug. He looked down at Carter with not contempt, but he could have sworn disgust. The way a man looks at something foul on the sole of his shoe. The other footsteps, though, where, where had they come from? With an effort, he pulled his head upright. He felt like he was a bottle of port deep, missing a few solid meals. The owner of the loud shoes stood at the end of the room. The boots were heeled slightly. 
The toe shone with a metallic glint. His pale mauve dress shirt, its sleeves rolled tightly to the elbow, was tucked neatly into a pair of white canvas slacks. His eyes were fixed on Carter, and his mouth twisted into an approximation of a smile. It was bare teeth. Predatory, but no light in the eyes. There was nothing in those eyes, save contempt. Agent Sterling, so good to finally meet you. He knew him. Carter knew that face. The dossier had only shown it behind thick sunglasses, but it was him. Ortega. His mouth dripped softly with blood he hadn't realised was filling it. John, I'm sure. Ortega looked amused by this. His shark eyes twitched at the corners, and he nodded softly to his guard. The crack of a rifle butt meeting home rang through Carter's head, and he felt himself begin to tip. The restraints threatened to take the chair with him, and then a second thud as he made contact with the ground. White light danced where his vision ought to be. Little black shades oozed through it. Several blood vessels must have burst in his right eye with the blow. With a grunt, the thug pulled him upright again, a fistful of his hair used as leverage. He felt the scalp begin to split. A wet sucking sound he was sure was his skull and flesh separating, deafening in his ears. I am sure you must be disappointed, no? No kitty cat or big scar, eh? <laughs> Ortega gestured at himself and shrugged. You know... I always love those James Bond movies. So funny. He walked, the click-click of his steel toes resonating until he faced the Bavarian. Never like that, uh, Pierce Brosnan, but Roger Moore, <laughs> he's my guy. Carter spat the mouthful of blood he was gathering onto his own knees. Carter Sterling, British intelligence. Agent 30921. Ortega laughed. It was a horrible sound filled with malice. Wow! You actually do that shit, huh? Inigo, la boca de Sterling. Abrela! Carter Sterling, British intelligence. His hair was yanked back, and Carter felt his jaw forced open a firm digit wedged into the back of it. He fought hard to close it again, but found a lack of strength he'd never experienced before. Ortega was withdrawing a rubber-gloved hand from a tank, in which something was delicately clutched. Carter saw with horror its legs, twitching beneath the lower half of the fist. They were so brightly coloured as to be luminous, and webbed. You know this animal? Or you call him, uh... Poison dart, see? He bobbed the animal up and down a little as he moved toward the wide-eyed agent. Don't be scared, amigo. It's just a little froggy. He laughed that cruel laugh again, and Carter felt the tears leak down his face. He'd become an agent to do good for his country, or so he'd told himself. Excelled at school, came from a good family, had the opportunity to make a difference for queen and country. Now we face the other end of the glamorous lifestyle he's built. 
his invincibility ran out. No more tan-skinned local girls and Mai Tais on the beach. No more sniper rounds changing elections in countries half the world had never heard of. Just him. And death. He struggled desperately to bite down as the animal was forced into his mouth. As if to answer his prayers, he felt his mouth forcibly clamped shut by the man he now knew to be Inigo. He felt the animal inside taste blood and begin to panic much as he was. Ortega had reached into his pockets and withdrawn a small case, from which he was producing a thick needle and coarse thread. Now, no friend, do not struggle too much. If he goes into your belly, <laughs> well, maybe you choke first, eh? but uh, no, he's very deadly, our little friend. He nodded as though he was imparting a lesson to a child. Now, in your mouth, he'll make you a little loco, maybe, but you might stay alive, at least for a few hours, huh? That laugh again, more terrifying than any other edifice of this torture. With a precise move, Ortega forced the needle through Carter's lower lip, and working with practiced ease, sealed his mouth shut. Inigo let go, and Carter pushed as though to scream. He felt the stitches tear at the meat of his lips, and only a breathy whisper poured from the cracks. Now I have a party to go back to, my friend. But don't worry, I'll send you back to England soon enough. He cast off the rubber glove now and pocketed his kit. His hand returned with a thick cigar, which he lit with a match. He exhaled a thick smog and fixed eyes with Carter. Tears streamed through his face, and urine coursed down the metal legs of the chair he was on. I know, I know, it's dangerous to put things like this in my mouth, eh? Very bad for you. Eventually, it's gonna kill me. He winked, and laughing that terrible laugh once again. He left Carter Sterling to die. Yeah, temptation for my initial response to be, Dana, Dana. Very intense. You can't leave it like that. <laughs> I need to know what happens. He doesn't get away. Oh no! <laughs> Sterling, Carter Sterling. <laughs> oh wow, loved it. I loved. I loved that you told it straight as well. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. A lot of fun to be had with with that genre and that and that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, had had a lot of fun listening to that. The uh, the the bit where uh, it, the the villain turns his true, you know, shows his true villainy by being a Roger Moore deviant. You <laughs> know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, those things have to have the best the best torture scenes. I think you've you've got a great one there. I love the frog. The yeah. uh, the whole sewn up with the frog thing, and you you made it so kind of tactile and really really milked the description. I don't even want to use the word milked after thinking about it. It's, it's all wrong, but um, yeah, you really went for it. And uh, yeah, we watched Casino Royale. It was on television last week or so, and uh, that that also has a magnificent torture sequence. But I think your frog will uh, will stay in the memory as successfully as that one does. I didn't deploy the rope, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, absolutely. It made me made me wince. <laughs> Carter Selling didn't have an itch to scratch, is what you're saying. Yeah, I guess, I guess not. No, 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 to the left. <laughs> to the left. Uh, yes, indeed. Yeah. But no, I think what was really great about that was that your build up with kind of being hooded and um 
you've got that that kind of darkness which gave you loads of opportunity to to have all the other senses brought into that you had some really great description and then we you know when the hood is pulled off then you really made the most of, of getting really stuck into seeing the scene and you know what you could see there so I thought yeah I thought that was great I'm really glad it worked we both definitely came at it from a very cinematic angle so I think we're the, we're the right crowd for these ones we're... yeah <laughs> we did it's true the it, it, I think it's a really good point about the the hood being on at the start and at like you know what you just said about how that you know you get sort of uh, embedded in this guy's senses as he as he does the checklist and he mm. and then when the hood's off then then you're in to to the visual as well but it does also hold on to the stuff that he can feel because if you'd have opened with you know the descriptions of the scalp splitting and all this kind of stuff sometimes it can glance yeah yeah um but because we would already we'd already been built up from nothing like literal darkness yeah. we were really in in Carter Sterling's head so I know we've made some jokes about like Bond and you know playing it straight and the, the spy genre but there was a serious tone to it that that it benefited the story yeah definitely um you have yeah. no idea how difficult it was for me to not go camp on that story <laughs> oh yeah yeah I can, I, yeah <laughs> like um the little flashes the, there were two bits of descriptions that really sort of like after the you know a bit later on when you when you're really into the story that really stood out for me the first was the idea of this compassionate footnote. Um, yeah, I think that was that was good. That takes you beyond the immediacy of what's happening in the story, which was which was a nice moment. And then also the sniper rounds changing elections. Uh, there's just a, there's a, like a there's a dread mathematics to that. Yeah, which mm. uh, which was a bit chilling. And I think you need chilling when you're talking about, uh, you know, international super spies assassinating people. Yeah. <laughs> I... <laughs> It's an interesting point in like espionage media. They don't really cover. It's like, oh no, but James Bond's a hero. Is he though? Mm. <laughs> it definitely had some golden age Ian Fleming going on. I I remember. Uh, I read. I think it was uh, Diamonds Are Forever, or some. It was something like that. Years and years ago, and being alarmed at the difference between movie Bond and book Bond. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah. he is scared. He does get scared. He doesn't run and bullets you know pierce brosnan style with the bullets pinging off behind him and stuff mm, there was a yeah. sequence where he, he hides in a, i think it's a car park and he breaks into a car whilst the whilst the, the powers that be are sweeping the car park looking for him and he's nearly wetting himself with fear as they draw close to his hiding space and yeah. I, you know i i just watched all you know I, I can't remember what i read this i think it was about 11 or 10, uh, 12 maybe and so I'd, I'd sort of already seen the um you know, I've seen the Sean Connery, the the calculating assassin with the with the big muscles. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was a, I just had no idea how to correlate, you know, how to how to rec reconcile those two versions of Bond. And I think you've done it here. I think you know this. You get the impression this guy could run through a room and just deal death, but also he's very real and feels his emotions strongly. Yeah, there is there is fear and there is, you know, a sense of taking in the situation and trying to remind himself of the training and what it is he needs to do. So you've kind of got both sides of that of that character in there. Mm. And I think um yeah, what I really liked about your description of the the villain is kind of the pale mauve dress shirt. You know, you get you get in a really strong sense of him, and then you've got I think his mouth twists into a smile, and then you're like, Oh, there we go, he's super evil. Because who else's <laughs> mouth twists into a smile? Do you know what I mean? It's like uh, we're we're totally there in the room. It's like, oh, I'm in real trouble here. His, his mouth is twisted into a smile. So, uh oh, 
<laughs> we're definitely going to be uh, tortured. So, um, but that's that's what it's got to lead to, right? As soon as he starts and he's he's you know sat there with this this hood on and whatever, you've got to deliver what you're promising, and you really did. And there's there's also from that the the idea that he doesn't actually want anything from him. He's not asking him any questions. Yeah, he's, just for fun. He's you just coming in for fun. <laughs> While um, there's a party going on upstairs. Well, yeah, exactly, yeah, of yeah. course. <laughs> I think that's that's definitely the, the colour of the dress shirt indicates ex exactly, as you say, what's about to happen. <laughs> um, it's like, yeah, it, you, in that situation, you always be like, hey, you can at least have the pretense of asking me a fucking question. <laughs> yeah, you? at least pretend, <laughs> yeah. you know. <laughs> Let me die for something, come on. What do you want, missile codes? I've got them. <laughs> At least say, is it safe a few times, you know? Is it safe? Just something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really good, man. I enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, it was great. It's your chance to fire back now, young Ben. Yes. Um, a little worried about the tone of my one after these, but uh, we'll, <laughs> oh, no. we'll have to go with it. Um, I'm, uh, I'm hoping that this... Uh, this does read as the character and not just me being a tit. <laughs> that is the best qualifier we've had so far. I'm really looking forward to it now. <laughs> right, cool. okay. Here we go. Beep, beep, bingle, beep. We're just barging in a moment to tell you about something cool. 200,000 book titles are published every year in the UK. Just 17% of these are lucky enough to get a decent marketing budget and make it to the bestsellers list. Among the other 83% are many amazing books and authors that remain undiscovered. Shockingly, it's estimated that 70 million of these books are destroyed each year in the UK alone. A box of stories wants to change that. By scanning thousands of titles and using real reader recommendations, their algorithm saves these brilliant books from being lost forever by curating a box of four surprise books. You could even pick the genre of the box, like historical fiction or crime. Discovering new work has never been easier or more exciting, and a box of stories has saved more than 100,000 books already. To receive £4 off of your first box, use the code TINY when you check out at www.aboxofstories.com. That's TINY, all in lowercase, at www.aboxofstories.com aboxofstories.com Now let's get back to our stories. Beep, bangle, beep, beep! <laughs> Toxic. George Burroughs was keenly anticipating his 28th birthday. He always made sure to make a big deal of himself around that time of year. George would make a show of sadness that nothing was planned for it. He liked to watch the people around him scuttle and fawn to attempt to alleviate his supposed consistent sadness. Sue, his soulmate, as he referred to her, would always try her best. George knew in his heart that her best could never really be enough for him, and he occasionally told her so, just in case that prompted her to find another gear in their relationship. Then again, they were soulmates, so he was convinced that he would shoulder the imbalanced burden and soldier on manfully. George had never paid too much attention to the world around him, beyond what he could grasp and turn to his own aggrandizement. He had, of course, heard the name Vernie Sigers, probably while scanning the news headlines for information he could complain about at the pub. It is unlikely that he had more than the faintest whiff of an idea that her work had shifted from test labs to government contracts in the last 20 years. 
This is largely because George was uncomfortable with the idea of other people being talented or successful, and semi-consciously slotted his head into the nearest sand dune when it became evident they were so. Then he got the letter. Sue always handled the post. George found it easier that way to put off the things he needed to do. When things inevitably went wrong because of their system, he could share the burden of blame with her. Sometimes he could even use that as leverage to get something he wanted, like a swish present or the opportunity to conduct a degrading sex act on her. As such, he had noticed that she had started to make sure to put seemingly important posts directly into his hands at the earliest opportunity. He considered this to be aggressive behaviour on her part, and made sure to store it as ammo for later use in arguments. The letter, when he'd chosen to open it after she'd left the room, turned out to be from the government informing him of his state-mandated appointment at the Sigers branch in his city. It appeared that non-compliance was punishable by immediate arrest, and further refusals to comply would incur automatic prison sentences. George read it again, feeling like there must have been some manner of mistake. Perhaps that thick postie had got the wrong address again. All of his details were correct, however, and it appeared he would indeed be required to attend his first Sigers review on the morning of his birthday. George had seen all the jokes and memes about the reviews online, of course. He'd even reshared a few without properly understanding them. The words, check yourself before you wreck yourself, applied to common image templates based on popular shows and cult classic movies, were pretty ubiquitous on his feeds. George knew he didn't need to check himself. Everything was just the way he liked it. His reshares were, of course, followed by a period of him keeping a weather eye on who had liked or commented on it. Those that he thought should have interacted with his post, but hadn't, went on his shit list. George liked to keep his shit list up to date. He sharpened it regularly with the whetstone of minor infractions on what George considered to be what he was due from his friends, family, and of course, soulmate. Seeing no way around it other than to comply, George instead internalised the annoyance and made sure that Sue made a fuss of over him being a victim of circumstance. She assured him that the review was easy and would be no trouble. Sue was slightly older than him and as such she'd gone through it quietly a few months ago. She told him that the party after the review would make up for it. He liked it when she tried to take charge of organising his party. That way he could relax and if it wasn't how he'd imagined it in his head, it would be Sue's fault. He couldn't remember what they'd done for her birthday, so he was glad that she was getting the opportunity to sort out his party. The day came and he let his alarm repeat a few times after it woke him up to make sure that Sue was ready to listen to him talk. He made sure to say lots of nice things, as he dressed, about looking forward to the party. He knew that would build up the pressure for her and ensure the evening was a success for him. George accidentally arrived early to the appointment and sat fuming in the plain white waiting room after the receptionist informed him that he couldn't skip ahead in the queue. As he waited, he flipped through some of the magazines on the table. Most of them bored him immediately. He had never been too interested in stories or other people's lives. After what seemed to him an aeon of irritation, he heard his name being called over the intercom system, followed by a room number. George then navigated the sterile maze of corridors beyond the receptionist's desk and knocked on the correct door before entering. Within, a fine-featured doctor was sat waiting for him by a large but slender machine which dominated the centre of the room. It was made up of metal fixings, glass tubes and plastic contours. Within it, he could see a centrifuge was spinning. The test tube was a blur of colour as it span. Hello, George. I'm Dr. Sigers. Would you take a seat? She indicated the chair opposite from her and crossed the legs. I will, thanks. Will this take long? George felt his chest puffing up with the knowledge that THE Dr. Sigers was seeing him. 
George was good at finding things that marked him out as better than other people. I doubt it. Do you know what it is that we do here? A review. Uh, my girlfriend said something about a test. Well, that's partially right. But the test has already occurred. George did not like the sound of that, and the doctor took his silence as a signal to continue. What we do here involves a specific kind of surveillance, followed by a review, and then treatment. It became apparent early in my research days that there were two problems besetting modern society. As she spoke, George noticed that the centrifuge had come to a stop. The doctor had a way of speaking that meant it was difficult to look away from her, and he switched his attention back to her large hazel eyes. The first was a lack of resources, and a skyrocketing global warming effect which is partially, or indeed significantly, brought on by overpopulation. The second is a culture of toxicity in our modern age which allows that first issue to always be someone else's problem. We had reached a point where people no longer needed to care about others. I sought to solve both of these problems. And now, after 20 years, my review centres are all over the country, with other major nations around the world trialling it as we speak. That sounds, um, good. George mumbled the weak response. Yes. The doctor stood quickly, and, opening a small hatch in the side of the machine next to her, plucked the test tube from the centrifuge. I still like to conduct the reviews myself from time to time. Anyway, it was agreed that these reviews would take place every 10 years for the entire adult population. During them, we'd take the data recorded from yourself and others around you by the government, and using various social markers, distill a liquid that matches the toxicity level of your discourse. Uh, right. The worried feeling George had felt initially about the test had begun to grow in his belly. Although her tone was even, he was getting the distinct impression he was being told off. Here it is. The doctor retrieved a small paper cup from a stack of them by her chair and decanted the fluid from the test tube into it. All you have to do is drink it, and then we're done here. You want me to drink that? Yes, and as I'm sure you are aware, the toxicity levels can be lethal. Look, I'm, uh, I don't, uh, I don't want to do that. Um, I know I haven't been the best that I can be, uh, is there not a way that I, we can sort of look back and I can learn from the errors of my ways or something like that? Ah, the Scrooge principle. We did trial that for some time, but unfortunately, the personality types exposed by this test correlated almost entirely with repeat offences. As such, standard practice is that you must drink what you've done. But I was a kid 10 years ago. You were 18 and as such a legal adult. It was decided early on that the review would not be practical on anyone younger than that. Young teenagers would mostly fail to a lethal degree. Mr. Burrows, it's time to drink. The doctor held the cup towards him. Later that afternoon, as the guests began to arrive, Sue stood smiling with a drink in her hand, talking to her friends. She felt bone-deep joy at the weightlessness she had been experiencing since he left to go to the review. She had been right. The party more than made up for everything. For one, I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> wow, he was a charmer, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> gosh <laughs> yeah hard to, hard to feel um to feel sorry for him but i love this kind of dystopia you you've set up there with the uh, judgment and blame and a lot of things that felt like it should have a good you know be used as a good acronym like the toxicity level of discourse i love yeah. that you could go you know what's your tld we should yeah. stop having this conversation because our tlds has just gone I, I was I, I think if i had more words um I, I did have this idea that people could track it on an app 
but uh, I sort of had to drill it down into just the principles of it, really. Yeah. Rating like an Uber driver. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it does feel like this whole, you know, world that you could really get stuck into exploring. Actually, it. Um, that, yeah, I loved it. I loved the lab and the. But you cut away from the drinking. I like the. I like the transformations, but I can see exactly why you kind of cut away from the the horrible drinking just to that that final little yeah it's, you it's know, look of sue there obviously i i hadn't heard your story before i wrote my story but, <laughs> but it's but it's almost the inverse isn't it this um, it is the complete lack of description about what the what the drink tastes like and what it does to him uh it's kind of weird isn't it that all three of our stories were about putting strange things in your mouths actually mm. it's kind of worrying a lot of but, my stories know, go that way really <laughs> <laughs> That's just the non-fiction. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Is that you editing room floor? Yes. I sort of, uh, when, when, when you first picked the uh, uh, toxic as the, as the prompt, yeah. um, I, I wrote down, uh, I wrote down, immediately I wrote down, um, would you be able to drink everything that you'd ever said or done if it was a drink yeah you know, like this this idea that um the time comes to pay the piper sort of thing um that's a great starting point isn't it for our imagination to jump off from and i love the scrooge principle as well it's like oh that doesn't work oh yeah you're not yeah. gonna learn <laughs> yeah, I, don't think, I don't think exciting uh dickens dickensian thinking or whatever is going to get you out of this one mate no redemption <laughs> no <laughs> And that's so dystopian as well. I just feel yeah. like it's this this whole dystopian setup, and I do love a good dystopia or a bad one. Yeah. I don't know if it's just that I've been unlucky, but I do feel like I know that dude Mul <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> it's uh, I I may have uh, I may have, may have plucked a few a few choice principles of his character from people we've known in the past, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're listening in, I'm really surprised. <laughs> I felt like he was really horrible, but you you kept you kept it from feeling kind of oppressively horrible by some really lovely turns of phrase. There was like um, the whetstone of minor infractions and just these these sort of really lyrical turns of phrase to to sum him up in a really juicy way that that made him deliciously unpleasant rather than just boringly bog standard unpleasant so really finally towing the line between him being actually evil and just a massive dickhead yeah yeah, yeah. uh for sure yeah the this idea that he I, like i hopefully it came across but there was this idea that he just wanders through life not not getting it not getting anything um and just being awful to people like, it's just i think it's quite easy to feel quite added by that which is one of the reasons why i sort of caveated it before i began because I think, especially, I, th there's a joke about teenagers and stuff. But I think most teenagers behave like this, um, if, you know, in one, one way or another. Just like a self-centeredness. Yeah, it's difficult yeah. to put down to kind of cruelty. Do you know what I mean? But it's mm. just you're not you're not aware. Well, it's a it's a narrow degree. worldview before you've been able to actually go out and expand it, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. But and then obviously he's he's had another uh, you know however many years to. To, to really refine being a bastard <laughs> it takes a good 10 years apparently for apparently yeah yeah decadely reviewed yeah decade <laughs> of bastardry is actually going to be the name of my autobiography so that yeah can't she <laughs> <laughs>
Well, I'm I'm, uh, I'm glad that it I'm glad that it uh, it went somewhere anyway. Um, but we've got some uh, rather exciting questions to uh, to pose to you. Oh, okay. So the the first one's nice and easy. It just uh, opens up with um, uh, what are you reading at the moment? What's uh, what's on your nightstand? Oh, it's uh, the Glass Hotel, Emily Mandel. So um, uh, yeah, it's so good. I'm about halfway through. What's, and, what, uh, what what in particular is um, really working for you in it? Um, it's really building the characters so well and also i'm a sucker for hotels i worked in a, a, a hotel for years like a chambermaid waitress oh, okay. kind of deal just um through school and university and things like that and uh yeah i um i find hotels fascinating and the guests and um looking through rooms and how people are different there than they are in in their day-to-day -day reality at home um and i mean this is a very different hotel from the one that i used to work at it's a yeah. beautiful glass hotel in this island uh, uh yeah so um but yeah love hotel stories i know um any of the jobs i've had that like that i've i've never walked away thinking oh that's a fascinating place to have worked i'm always like oh thank thank fuck i'm leaving that job there was um, a fair amount of that at the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it's kind of nice to be looking back. Have you have you used <laughs> hotels as as a setting in your own work at all? Um, I've written short stories about that. I think of one that was in Black Static called The Chambermaid, which is kind of like really obviously yeah. um, based on some of my experiences there. So um, yeah, yeah, I have I have used it, but I would love to tackle something longer. Mm in in that setting and she's she's making me feel like i want to give it a go so it's always nice like being inspired by something you're reading is is always uh just a really special feeling i find yeah definitely i've got to yeah. ask because you've worked in a hotel without breaking any international treaties or anything what's the <laughs> uh what's the weirdest thing you ever saw <laughs> <laughs> um i i talked about this recently actually on something else i um it it, it doesn't it doesn't go into details of anybody's bad behavior. I walked into one of the rooms and um, it dawned on me very slowly that something was really wrong in the <laughs> room, but I couldn't, I couldn't put my finger on it for some time. And then it, it, I noticed a fly on the wall and then turned around and the entire of the wall behind me was just covered in flies, just black <gasps> with flies. And oh yeah, it turns God. out a, um, a fly's nest or some, I don't know, do they nest? Who knows? Anyway, a vast amount of flies had come down the old walled up chimney um, and managed to get through into the room. Luckily, the people were out doing something else. And uh, I was uh, like trying to trying to deal with that with a can of fly spray and a hoover, <laughs> which was past oh, its best years. <laughs> um, it was it was horrific. So, yeah, that that is definitely the strangest experience. Buckle up, Henry. You're eating <laughs> well today. Here you go. And uh, you know that dreadful buzzing they make once they start yeah. to yep. they start to die and fly. So, ah, oh, imagine that times you know ten thousand. It was really. This has made me feel deeply uncomfortable. I really do not like little buzzy insects it's and awful. the idea of a whole wall of them. <laughs> yeah. What I'm doing for your yeah. birthday, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> If you if you end up doing something with insects to to piss me off, I'm going to get a bag of hair. Me, I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> well, this was, I've got to say this was not your dream job either, of you, because there was oh, a lot of yeah. hair in. <laughs> no, no, no. 
god, yeah, I yeah. Just imagine how many different dead hairs you'd find here. Yeah, yeah. So there's yeah, there's a plugs. lot of hair. You could make a cake, Nico. For yeah. your birthday, yes, ideal. <laughs> let's have let's both have a terrible day. <laughs> right, let's get off of terrible things and onto good things. What <laughs> is the best book you've ever read? Oh wow, okay. Fine. <laughs> That's like a, an aggressively difficult oh, yeah. question. He doesn't okay. take any prisoners. Oh, um I'm upstairs in my my kind of room where I keep all my books. I'm not gonna call it a book room. I don't uh, know. The why. word is library, I believe. <laughs> is it i just that feels so presumptuous but okay um i have like one particular shelf that's got all my absolute favorites on it because i don't really have a um a, a sort of shelving technique and such and i'm just looking down through I'm it imagining now. you like bell you want me to choose one? Oh, do you know what i love that <laughs> <laughs> the entire reason for my love of beauty and the beast is that library i would i would marry him to that library um okay <laughs> I, I say it a lot, but um, Daphne du Maurier's Rebecca is probably because it's the book that absolutely woke me up to the idea that you can really surprise people with what you write and not write around genre. Yeah. And I was just the right age for it. I do kind of think you have the right age for some books. And that mm. that was me in sort of 13, 14 with this um, what seems like a romance that then becomes gothic horror. That absolutely captivated me. So, did, did that yeah. have a big part in you starting to write yourself, or were you already writing by then? Or no, I wasn't. Um, I wasn't writing then. I uh, I knew I loved it as a reader. Um, I didn't start writing until my early twenties. I went to went to university to study theatre. Hey, and, me too. Um, yay! I worked out quite early on. I wasn't going to be an actress. Um, but then my tutor said said to me, I'm going to start a creative writing element. Do you want to give that a go? And uh, I just, as soon as I'd written the first thing, I thought that's that's the thing oh, I want wow. to do. Yeah. Did um, it, it's it's something that's been that's had a lot of uh, adaptations um on um on the screen, Rebecca. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have a is is Charles Charles Dance up there with your favourite or? Is it, uh... <laughs> I do like Charles Dance. Yeah. Um, I, I, Laurence Olivier, I think, is probably my my one. Joan Fontaine. Um, that's got the best Mrs. Danvers, I think. The, um, the Danvers is the is the is the key role to get right, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and I remember coming across that, and then um, Hitchcock's films, generally. Um, yeah. Again, I I don't want to call it you know the best because it influences me or was the first thing to influence me in that direction. But what other yardstick is there for the best? We make our own sticks in this exactly. house. Exactly. All right, and, yeah. And I love this idea of you having this, not having a system, but having one shelf that just has your favourite books on it. That's, yeah. that's really special because I, I spent I spend ages trying to just organise my books and figuring out which Same. way to do it. And that there's, there's, a, there's just a simplicity so that really works. And it works particularly well for that question because this idea of you just the first thing you reach for being your answer yeah is exactly yeah that's that's spot on i think that's i think that's really wonderful and uh, um, it did also make it quite difficult because you know <laughs> and mm. then my entire collection of then next to bruce chatwin's on the black hill next to lanark next to mm. neville shoots you know it's just like oh graham green it's all there in one big pile rupert thompson it's ridiculous really 
So you know. can you um can you think of, of a novel that didn't work for you at all and and why? Like so completely the other end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Not off the top of my head. I mean, the ones I don't, I don't really love don't stay with me. No, really, I just kind of move on. Do they, do they leave a lasting impression of what you don't like in novels, though? I think it's really important. I've always felt the importance as a writer of reading things that I don't necessarily get along with, or that, that doing things that don't work for me. So I, it's as important as reading things that really work. So you can see, you know, the joint in a way. You can see. And what you want to do better? Uh, um, that's, that's a that's a good way of putting it. I like that. But um, I don't kind of hang on to it beyond that. No, really. Yeah. The uh, this idea of seeing the join and uh, like uh, almost um, uh, reading as being part of your job as a writer. Mm-hmm. How, how important do you see reading, uh, either either good books or bad books or, or what you know in between? Do, do you always approach it as as if you're doing a job when you're reading? I try not to. Um, I think it's all it's all um, grist for the mill. So grist for the everything mill. that goes it. But then life is. I think yes. once you're thinking that way and you're a writer, everything you do. Is, I think it was um, Ronan Bart who who wrote about you know the fact that you you're always a writer on all the time and you're always not all the time there's it's not like a a job where you go on holiday as such and i do love i love love those books that um make me stop thinking as a writer because they've gripped me so intensely Mm. um i think the last one that did that was uh yoko agawa's the memory police actually where i thought this is so good and just read it without once sort of thinking about oh and you know that was good i like the way she did that or whatever just just completely within the story just losing yourself in a tale yeah yeah i don't know if that's do you think it's like a getting older thing where you start you you do that less i just seem to be pickier nowadays whereas or maybe it's just my memory of yeah i I, uh i find that i um I have less patience for you know this this question comes from a place where I find it very difficult to read stuff that is that doesn't grip me, yeah, um, and, I, and that means that I you know I don't need to be need to lose myself, but it needs to be good, yeah. Otherwise, I just I I can't not put it down. It's it, I feel like I'm uh, really wasting my time with it. Um, so it's I was particularly interested with the way that you answered that with this idea that this you know seeing the join Christopher Mill. Mm. Um, and that might be that might be helpful because there's plenty of times I'm sure that I've put down put down a book that would have eventually got to a place where I was enjoying it. Um, yeah. But uh, the importance of of good writing and good storytelling is really is really paramount to to me being able to crack on with a book. I find. Yeah. The louder yeah. your knees start clicking, Ben, the less chapters you're going to be giving them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You could boil it down to the first ten words and just throw out, throw out the window and say something sort of grunty. <laughs> nope, no reading it. Nope. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. I do persevere. I like to persevere, and um, I kind of feel like I need to know what happens. So I will. I will speed speed read if it's getting to the point where I think I don't. I don't think I want to give this like hours and hours of attention. Yeah, but it's really rare where I give up give up entirely. Yeah, I think you've inspired me to have another crack at a few that I've got on my list at the moment. Because all right, I might, I, might have to, I might have to just try again. I think I'm going to lose him. <laughs> There's no more podcast, guys. Ben's going back into the library. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so, speaking of things you spent hours and hours on, 
Do you have a favourite literary character? Um, I think it's probably Ursula from The Rainbow. D.H. Lawrence's The Rainbow. Is, yeah. Is there any particular reason why? I really like her journey and the way that we're inside her, her mind um, completely throughout that. Um, yeah. I think people tend to either love or hate D.H. Lawrence, and I really like him. So, um, yeah. She's the first one that came to mind anyway, as I you know, sit here and stare at my shelf of incredibly great books. It's always so. a good way to answer, just letting whatever inspires you immediately. And I have no doubt that everyone who's guested so far, and Ben and I, every so often think, ah, oh, bugger, I should have brought that up. Yeah, but... should have said that. Or... <laughs> well, I have to confess, I'm not familiar with the book or the character. So you can. Mm, there you go. The, the other on one the that's journey. catching my eye, actually, is um, Sandman, Neil Gaiman's Sandman, actually. I'm oh. sat here looking at that as well. That I do. So, yeah, no, yes. no, you're speaking our language, I think. <laughs> <laughs> isn't, he, isn't he wonderful? So, um, and again, that's to do with the journey, and he, he does have some great some great journeys. He has this uh, idea of, it, it, it's not a building's Roman, but it, it is, he does grow up, doesn't he? Yeah, I think so. Um, whilst whilst being an ancient and immutable object. Yeah. <laughs> He has the best family as well, right? So <laughs> Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, death the endless for the win. Yeah. Every yeah, every time you see that the the ank that she wears. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> oh dear, here we go. <laughs> and of course, it has one of the best villains of uh, of anything ever with the Corinthian. Oh. Wow, uh, I absolutely love him. I I ended up, you know when you um you're reading something and then it starts to really creep into something that you're writing. So usually when that's happening, I kind of stop stop yeah. writing whatever it was I was yep. working on. Put it to, but the Corinthian snuck into a lot of things at one point. It's kind of, oh, I'm, no, I'm going to have to just back away from the incredibly <laughs> scary serial killers with the, with the eyes. So <laughs> there is like a period quite early on in my writing life. It's like, mm, yeah, those stories are all about Sandman, really. So... <laughs> That's a common thing. I, I struggle to write fantasy quite a lot because I've absorbed so much fantasy literature over the years. It's hard to work out what's a thought and what's a memory of a a strange story about dwarves and goblins from my past somewhere. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's good once it it's less present in the front of the mind and then it just enters like the large squelch that is your creative brain mm. and then it comes out in different ways. You know, but that's fine once it's all mixed together and you've shaken it. You know, it's a, so yeah. Of your squelchy creative brain. Uh, what is your actual writing process when you come to write a short story, a novel? Is it different for the different lengths of thing that you're writing? It's not dictated by length. I rarely know what length it's going to be mm. um, when I start. It's something that's changed that does change regularly. So. Um, for the last few years before uh, lockdown and pandemic ha happenings and whatever, I was definitely a cafe writer. So I'd be in a cafe and uh, that that was really good. And then, of course, you know, I wasn't able to do that anymore. So at the moment, I've gone back to um, writing first thing in the morning as soon as I wake up. So I don't I don't do anything else. I wake up a little bit earlier and just sit and write for 20 minutes um, into a notebook just to oh, have oh, something oh. on paper 
Joseph. I, I always write yeah. um, longhand. Longhand. So, um, yeah. And that's that's produced some interesting results. I don't know if any of those are actually going to make them into, <laughs> yeah. into the world, but uh, I've enjoyed doing that. That's kind of how I started out as well, um, with that essentially an exercise just to see what the brain sort of produces first thing in the morning when you're still sort of half half awake, half in dreamland. I'm, I'm a big fan of writing in the morning as well. Um, yeah. I, the, this idea of uh, being a cafe writer, hmm. what, so how does that actually work for you? Do you, do you find it is, is almost like the act of struggling to concentrate a part of it for you? Uh, the background noise helps right. and to feel taken out of the situation of home, you know, the, the usual things. Mm. Uh, quite often if I'm sat at home, I, I struggle with thinking, you know, um, I should be putting the dishes in the dishwasher or I should be doing all these other, you know, sort of home tasks. Um, and the, the cafe really nicely punctured that for me. And uh, it was one cafe in particular where they were just lovely to me and knew what I wanted. And if I was gazing out the window for too long, they just tap the piece of paper in front of me as they walk past. I'm like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Well. Oh, that would that would set me off. <laughs> I, 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 oh, it my, works my, a treat for me. <laughs> my, 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 my shoulders clenched when you said that. Oh, I, <laughs> I, uh, I've got a real, I've got a real uh, authority problem. I, <laughs> I can see the headline now: four baristas found dead in Cambridge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, that works for me. I like a bit of authority figure, so that's uh, put my mind back in the right place. The 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 research that goes into your work. What's uh, what's your approach to that? I'm rubbish at, at research, um, hey. so it's a lot of. Um, for instance, when I wrote The Arrival of Missives, which is actually historical, I just would leave piles of crosses in the in the first draft, kind of like I'm going to have to work out, you know, um, when electricity came to Somerset at some point, but it's not going to be today. Yeah. So, you know, just just rows of I'm going to have to check that later, um, which is fine as long as you're in the, the you know, the throes of it and uh, it's going well. And otherwise, it can be such a stumbling block, I think. Yeah, so you don't let it get in the way of the flow of your writing. You just, mm, yeah, you're quite happy to come back to it later. Yeah, you run the risk of losing pages and pages of when it turns out that electricity turned up in 1927 and put it in there. But uh, it, it, it just, I mean, a lot, a lot changes between first and later drafts for me anyway. So, so you um, have rather, rather uniquely, I think, from the people that we've uh, spoken to so far in season two written and published a lot of short stories yeah um do you have any insight on like on it on things that you've learned from from story one up to uh, your man saying is that you're well over 100 now is that right um, yeah yeah i was surprised by that i edited them up a while back and discovered there was a lot of them i started out no i wrote i did write a novel first actually I did write novels first, but then I came to short stories uh, and I was part of an online group where you'd sort of churn out stories really fast, really regularly to get feedback and try to learn from each other. Um, and that really worked. And I got into the habit of just writing a lot of short stories. Uh, I love short stories. So um, in terms of things I've learned from that process, um, sometimes I don't. I don't have things that I could articulate about it, but I know better what works when I'm doing it or later when I look back at it. 
yeah but i would struggle to kind of say you know this this is what yeah. i learned this idea that you're um you've become quite comfortable with your own process enough that it can just be organic and you can just know that it'll happen eventually just start to write go to a co go to a coffee shop and have someone tap the paper and you're good <laughs> it always feels it always feels like um a wing and a prayer um there's never a moment where it's got easier and i've done it'll fly by today that'll be fine la 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 i'm so good at this now that just doesn't <laughs> happen um, uh so every time it's kind of uh oh please please lord of inspiration come to me um but luckily you know it does seem to turn up more often than not a, a lot of stuff gets binned i don't i don't write well all the time or anything so yeah do you um it sounds like you're you're incredibly prolific in your writing and um i does, i assume that means that you're prolific in your submissions as well is that is that right or not so much um recently actually i i'd say since lockdown i've written an awful lot less but there was certainly a period you know where for a good 5 years where i constantly had things rotating out on submission you know trying one place or another and a lot of short stories on the go yeah um not not so much at the moment how did you manage your expectations and knockbacks and successes during that period um I celebrated successes when I was lucky enough for them to come along and got really used to just <laughs> expecting it to be a no, I think. I'd always kind of approached it with the point of view of it's just so amazing if somebody else likes something that you've written as an yeah. act of connection. Um, I think it's hard to beat. So I've never, ever sort of taken it for surprises me. I think that's I think that's one of the reasons why I've uh, really enjoyed uh, recording so far with you because like we, we I think we've all had fun with the stories that have happened today, and yeah. it's 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 re it is a really special thing just to be able to tell someone the story and 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 hear what they liked about it. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Thanks for asking me to do that because it, I really enjoyed it. Actually, just listening to your stories and being able to to come up with one myself, and you know, it is it is great to be able to do that. And um, you, it it does sound like you you got this you got your real start in a in a community as well with this um this writers community so maybe that's something that people can take forward as well you know this idea that it's good to write together it is and not not to feel that you have to write well or that you know that you should only put perfection out there when you're looking for feedback I think it's quite important to have a space to just kind of see what works and what doesn't. Yeah. continually continually you know Definitely. not even just at the beginning but throughout as a process because it's always about trying to learn new things and do it better speaking of doing it better <laughs> i'm gonna pose your hypothetical okay it's your coffee shop you've been you know committed to them for a long time one day they come tap the paper say look we're doing quite well here sold a lot of lattes <laughs> unlimited budget you get to adapt any book of your choice to another medium and it's any medium it could be a play could be a film could be a painting whatever you want here's here's everything out of the tip jar and some sugar sachets you're going to be grand what book do you pick what do you adapt it into and why so a book that i've written otherwise you know there's a whole world of other demand 
a book that I've written. Um, I've always said I thought Skane Island should be a graphic novel. Okay. More, more so. I love um, graphic novels. And um, that I've just always seen it in black and white with like, I don't know if you know that book, but it's got four important cubes and it's a game that they play and there's red, blue, yellow and green cubes. And every time they turned up kind of um, either at the front of the panel or hidden somewhere in the back or whatever that, you know, it reflects on character development and things like that in a really interesting way. And I think that that, that would just be a great graphic novel. I would love somebody to turn something of mine into into a graphic novel. So if you could pick any artist, who would it be? Oh, no, I don't know. Gosh. No, I can't I can't answer that. I couldn't pick one. No? Can you think <laughs> yeah. of a graphic novel like even if it's just a sort of vague style, would you want to go for that Marvely Caped Crusaders look or a bit of a darker Jim Lee DC thing? Well my first instinct is sort of Sin City ish, but then I think yeah. Oh I love um Nemesis. Nemesis the Warlock. Maybe something like that. So it's a bit sort of steampunky, gothic. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah that would be cool. I can't remember who, who drew that. Can you remember? Uh, I, I cannot, but I am currently Googling it because I, I think we should try and name check it if we can. Yeah. Let's, let's drop a name. <laughs> this is the Warlock. Um, Drum roll, please. Oh, wow. A big list of artists uh, appears to be primarily... The primary artist on it is listed, at least by Wikipedia, as Kevin O'Neill. Good work, Kevin. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and there are, there are ten, other, 10 other names there. Um, We're proud of so you, I'll... but, you know, oh, put wow. your finger I, yeah, out. I... We've got a graphic novel to make, mate. What are you even Come playing on. at? <laughs> <laughs> I can't... Funding it. Yeah, exactly. Get out of the tip jar. I can't remember what, what bit of it particularly, you know, I'm thinking of, but um, whoever did that, yeah. Absolutely, top work. <laughs> we, uh, we mentioned earlier, like this idea of like losing yourself in in reading in books. Um, are you capable of actually uh, crying whilst reading? Can it can a book move you to tears? Um, yeah, yeah. When was the last time it happened? Um, I think it was Paul Tremblay's Survivor song. Actually, at the end of that, what, I had a what good about cry. It? What about it was pulling your strings? That that book. Do you know? Do you know that book? I, I don't know. Sorry. It's kind of like a zombie yeah. um, story in a way, but um, it's a real battle for survival, and I was utterly involved in it. And the the final pages are very beautifully done, and I think it was a combination of kind of relief, reaching the end of the book, uh, the emotion of that, and the beauty of the writing kind of got me there. Sort of crescendo, and is is it something? Because we have we've had a lot of people on that say that they just never cry whilst reading. Is this something that mm. you? Because I know Nico and I both do do regularly. Oh yeah. Uh, when when a, yeah. When, a, when a book gets us, we're leaky um, boys. Very leaky boys. <laughs> I don't think it's anything special in my case. I cry a lot. I mean, I'm just a crier. So you know, most days I'll cry. I cry at you know terrible adverts and things. I'm not. Uh... Yeah, they 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 are getting good at that. The bastards. <laughs> Have you, just... have you found that as you got older that happened more? Because everything seemed to bounce off of me and then I was maybe 25 and I just started really hard connecting with cinema 
And then a couple of years later, it was even more so with music. And now it's yeah. at a point where I see a Kenko advert. I go, I'm just, I'm just so happy they got a nice coffee, you know? I'm, I'm the same. I'm glad to hear you say that because, yeah, I think when I look back at teenage me, I'm like, God, I was hard, hard. Mm. You know, it's like all bounced off me. And now just in pieces over everything, you know, <laughs> dreadful. <laughs> it's nice to so have another have... weeper on, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you have to have lost yourself in a book to cry at it or...? Can can a book move you whilst you're still engaging that writerly mind? Um, no, I think I have to have lost myself. Yeah, you have it. to you have to be over the over the edge. Yeah, yeah. the emotions have to take take over. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Right, let's make it weird. I like this bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, look deep inside yourself, if you would, and tell me one genuinely uninteresting fact about you. Uninteresting. Yeah. <laughs> that you know that sounds like that should be really easy and now it's not so that i must actually be way more interesting than i thought i was <laughs> all right i show up so it, it, right. it's wow it's, thanks it's always uplifting there was a reason i came on this podcast uh, okay. <laughs> something really uninteresting about me uh, i'm rubbish at loading the dishwasher i know we talked about you know dishwashers already I'm not obsessed with the dishwasher or anything. I'm just, you know, I'm rubbish. At when, it. You, when you say you're rubbish, I would like to be better. Yeah. There must be a camp or something for that, wasn't there? <laughs> Can they not give life lessons in that? I think many of us are rubbish at that. So, what is it? Uh, have you got a like, one tier or a two tier? First of all, that's important. Two tier. Two tier. Mm. Is it? Yeah. Have you got the same thing where there's a pan that's too long for either one, really? And yeah, I have those. Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> Those bits of crockery where you're like, oh, get one and buy it on the grounds that it would fit properly in my dishwasher because that is sad. But, you know, it doesn't fit. So I'm going to balance it with the handle sort of half oh, no. poking up and it might then hit the little rotating thing yeah. and that. Oh, the sound of ding, 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 oh. coming out of the dishwasher. It's the best. Oh, that's awful, isn't it? No, what's really magic about those things is that on one layer you can fit 93,000 plates or four bowls. <laughs> those are your two <laughs> that options. That's <is> so true. <laughs> and it drives me. They've always got that the slanty little pegs to put the stuff in. And if you put yeah. one bowl on there, it will then go, oh, no, and roll into a way more compromising position. Like it's, yeah. it's like they've been designed to make washing buttons. No, put it in the sink. Go on, mate. We're just for plates yeah. and cutlery. That's it. Oh, and then the bowl hits like a beaker or something and the beaker turns itself over. And then when you open it, like this beaker full of yeah. dishwasher Vague water. Vague, water. Uh, that happens to me all the time. I've definitely got like a certain level of hubris with stacking the dishwasher where I just, I'm just like, yeah, I can get all this in. One plate I've more. Yeah. <laughs> I've accepted it's not one of my special talents. So, this yeah, is, I'm not going to get better. This is proper first world problems we're having here, gang. I know it's <laughs> dreadful, isn't it? <laughs> the beastly dishwasher. <laughs> uh, well, on to on to uh, on to other other matters that aren't dishwashers. <laughs> but the thing um, about them, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you got any uh, upcoming work? Anything that you've been working on in lockdown that will be coming out soon, or anything like that? I've got a connect collection of short stories coming out September. I Ooh, think it's nice. September. Called From the Neck Up, and they're kind of my more plant-based sci-fi stories. 
Oh, that sounds great. Fantasy sort of, yeah. Okay. Um, I, <laughs> I, they're all a bit sort of horrific as well, of course. But um, excellent. I, yeah, I, it's really great to have a place to collect a lot of my my favourite stories um, that I've written, and to, I was surprised to find out that a lot of them contain plants. So that, plants. that tied wow. it together. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. And um, is there anything else that you've got currently out that you'd uh, like? Feel free to plug it. Like really get people get people's juices flowing so they go and buy your stuff. Oh, great. Okay, we'll do. I accept I'm rubbish at plugging, but I'll give it my <laughs> best shot. Um, so Skyward Inn is the the new novel that's out, and that doesn't have plants in it, but it does. It's like a first contact kind of story. Um, it's again, it's sort of Daphne du Maurier based. It's like a well, it's got connections to Jamaica Inn. It's set in this inn in the middle of uh, the West Country in a sort of near future where the West Country's left the UK and the rest of the world is kind of pulled together to to go forth into space and conquer things. Um, so that that is out there. And I also I should say I wrote a non-fiction book called The Secret Life of Fungi. That's out there at the moment. And what's the other one? Oh, Greensmith. So yeah, Greensmith is a plant-based sci-fi novel, which came out a, a couple of months ago. I'm, I'm so. starting to wonder whether, whether I should have asked you earlier. Are you a botanist? No. That... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, Just a fun this guy. This is weird. I'm editing that out. Yeah, so, yeah, all this cool fungi plant stuff has been a real phase for me that i have definitely moved out of now but i'm at the point of promoting that stuff now so Brilliant. that's what i'm doing yeah. sounds sounds fantastic um and, and this, this short story like yeah it, you're you're uh, you've got a real knack for naming uh novels i know this is a bit of a weird question to interject with at this stage but do, do you spend a lot of time doing this because like you know from the neck up skyward in greensmith they're all stuff that really grabs you and almost you know it definitely starts the story on the front page. Um, Thanks. Yes, I sometimes I feel like I just hit the right thing and that's it. And other times it goes horribly wrong and then I have to be talked out of. So for a long time, <laughs> right. Green, yeah, Greensmith was called an ingenious storage in my head and it, it still is. That is what I would call it if it was my my choice. But the publisher was like, you just can't. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not going to sound like something you'd buy in an IKEA catalog. Doing that. Um, so it's Greensmith. But um, I think the arrival of missives for a long time was called of rocks and responsibility. Um, <laughs> I like that because it had that sort of historical thing going on. Yeah. So yeah, they sometimes start with different names and sometimes have it up front. The Skyward Inn, I think, was called the Slow Dissolve when I when I was working on it. Slow dissolve. Yeah, and then that that became something that sounds less like a dishwasher tablet. <laughs> there, um, again. there we go. <laughs> Come full circle. I'm stuck on rocks and responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> I, or, just my brain is saying stones and sensibility over and over again, and I feel oh, like, wow. <laughs> I yeah, feel like we've got that? something here. <laughs> just a bunch of rocket golems of some kind. You could you could do Bridgerton. Bridgerton oh. trolls. <laughs> Under the Bridgerton. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Where can yeah. people get your books from, by the way? Um, 
so I think Skyward Inn is in all good bookshops right now, which you can actually go to now, along with Secret Life of Fungi, that, that's in bookshops. Other than that, it's the usual suspects online, I think. Or you can go direct to the publishers, some, somebody like Unsung Stories, you know, where, where they've published a lot of my, of my weirder stuff. Um, <laughs> you can go direct to them and buy from them, and they would be very, very grateful for that and happy. I well, we'll, we'll yeah. be putting up some links uh, when when this episode airs, so we'll, thanks. Uh, we'll put them along. Yeah. Um, where can people find you on social media? I tweet, so you can find you're, me you're, there. You're a tweeter, I see. I am a tweeter, uh, not not with huge amounts of regularity, but I try to remember to put stuff up there that's happening. And I do I do have a blog as well, which again is just sort of updates of stuff that's happening and a few links. Um, and if you just search search for my name, it's the thing that comes up. Brilliant. Well, we'll be we'll be asking you. So, um, people listening, please do follow. And uh, when when the time comes for uh, the short story collection that's coming out later in the year, then uh, grab that as well. Um, it's been uh, really really good fun to talk to you and uh, hear your story, which was excellent, and Absolutely get your marvelous. insight on short story writing. <laughs> yeah, we're thank uh, you. Really in, in the in the presence of a of a, of a proper writer here. So <laughs> I really enjoyed cool, it. Man. <laughs> I really enjoyed your stories and the chance to kind of you know chat about chat about them and um yeah talk about strange things in in mouths and dishwashers <laughs> strange things in mouths and dishwashers i think yeah we've got the, we've got the alternate title for this episode yeah. i think <laughs> see i'm not always great at naming things <laughs> that can be our, that can be our secret title i would okay. buy that if i saw it on netflix i would completely believe it existed <laughs> wouldn't we all yes <laughs> I think it sounds like it would be have like an eighteen tag to it. Isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, it's it's been lovely and stay well. Thank you very much. Thanks. Take care. Mate. Thank you all for joining us on this episode of The Tiny Bookcase. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on your chosen service so that you don't miss out on future episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at Bookcase Tiny, where you can talk to us directly and even suggest prompts for upcoming stories. If you're not a tweeter, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. Just search for The Tiny Bookcase. Now, if you want to support the podcast, and we'd really appreciate it if you did, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash The Tiny Bookcase. And then you can be just as special as these story seekers. Do we thank them? I think so. Well, then it's a huge thank you to the legendary Matthew McLaren and the absolutely epic Scott Byrne for their support. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week. Next week. <laughs> <laughs>